Teachings that do not speak of pain have no meaning, because humankind cannot gain anything without first giving something in return. In alchemy, to obtain something, something of equal value must be lost. This is Equivalent Exchange. Welcome to Equivalent Exchange, a podcast about Fulmal Alchemist by Hiromu Arakawa. I'm Kayla. I'm Ellen. And I'm Kazum. Today we're going to be talking about chapters 42 and 43. Yay! Yay! I already kind of forgot what happened. Oh, it was sad. Yeah, that's right. It was sad. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good guess, even if you didn't know what happened. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I was going to say most of the time it's sad. Something sad happens usually. (laughs) So we're going to do our uh, our usual uh, spiel. Yes. (laughs) Going to do our summary recap and then uh, talk about stuff. Yeah, it's okay. We'll banter during. (laughs) I know there's not really been any banter yet, but... (laughs) I'll, I'll think it's of something. Don't worry. Banter. <laughs> <laughs> I barely remember the beginning of this one, too. I started the summary a long time ago. <laughs> Last time on Full Metal Alchemist, yeah. Ed, Ed ran into his father. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, so it's like, here's what you missed on Glee. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Chapter 42 starts off back at the hotel in Central, where Al and Winry are wondering where Ed is, since they kind of need his money to pay the hotel bill. <laughs> Al's currently talking to Panako on the phone, who tells him that, although Ed hasn't shown up there yet, someone else did. Al reacts with surprise. What? Dad's there? Speaking of that devil, we transition back to the graveyard, where Ed is pissed, and his dad just looks slightly surprised to see him. Edward, he says. You've gotten bigger? Why phrase it like a question? Ed demands, even more irritated. You've gotten quite famous in Central City, Hohenheim says. The smallest state alchemist in history, right? The youngest! (laughs) Panako told me, you tried to transmute a human being. That shuts Ed up for a moment. He looks away and angrily spits, you bastard, how dare you show your face here after all this time. Hohenheim's a little put out at being called a bastard by his own son, but Ed snarls that that's more than good enough for him, and adds that, if we weren't standing in front of mom's grave, I would slug you. This diverts Hohenheim's attention back to the grave in question, where he begins asking Trisha why she died and left him behind, and saying that they made a promise to each other, completely ignoring as Ed frustratedly tries to cut in to point out that he left them. Giving up on this, Ed finally snaps that there's no place left here for Hohenheim. That's right, my house, Hohenheim says. Why did you burn it down? I made up my mind never to turn back, Ed explains. That burned house is a symbol of our resolve. No, it's not. You did it because you didn't want to be reminded of your mistake. That startles Ed into silence, and Hohenheim continues. You wanted to escape from the painful memories. You thought you could erase all traces of your actions, didn't you? You're wrong, Ed says, looking shaken. But Hohenheim keeps going. It's no different from a child who wets his bed and then hides the sheets. You were running away, Edward. What would you know? Ed shouts, looking almost more panicked than angry. I do know, Hohenheim insists calmly. Ed turns away and stalks off, saying that he's way too irritated to visit his mother's grave now when his father asks about it. Hohenheim begins to walk the same way, and Ed snaps at him not to follow, but Hohenheim points out that they're both obviously going to Panako's house, since neither of them have anywhere else to stay. As they walk, Hohenheim notices that Ed's hair is pulled back in a ponytail like his, since he hasn't bothered braiding it since the desert, and observes out loud that they have the same look. Ed pulls a hilariously angry face, aggressively (laughs) braids his hair, and throws the glare back over his shoulder before stomping off. (laughs) He's exactly like me when I was his age, Hohenheim says. How long has you been 17? (laughs) (laughs) It's like a long, long time ago when I was his age. (laughs) Yeah, really. Totally. (laughs) After nightfall in Panako's house, Hohenheim hovers in the doorway to the room where Ed is sleeping. 
He has a brief memory of his sons when they were both very young, a toddling Ed clinging to his pant leg while baby Al reaches for his shoe with a chubby hand, and he steps into the room. He looks down at his own hand for a moment, then reaches out toward the sleeping Ed as though he might pat him on the head. But he stops, stares down at his hand again, and then turns and leaves the room. As the door closes, Ed opens his eyes, looking annoyed. Out in the main room, Hohenheim and Panaco drink and talk while poor Dan growls quietly in the corridor, as far from Hohenheim as she can be. Human transmutation, Hohenheim says. Why didn't someone scold them? How could I in that situation? Panaco asks. You're their father, aren't you? Why don't you scold them? He's silent for a moment. I don't know how, he admits. Panaco then demands to know why he couldn't even call, pointing out that Ed and Al would never have tried transmuting their mother back to life if their father had been around. Poor things, she says. Those kids had to watch their mother die twice. Transmute their mother, huh? Hohenheim says to himself, staring down at his drink. Behind him, Den perks up and trots out of the room through the open door, which he takes note of. Panaco, were you the one who cleaned up after them when the transmutation failed? He asks. And when Panaco confirms it, he then asks, Are you sure it was really Trisha? Panaco says that the result of the transmutation was so misshapen that she could never think of it as Trisha, but Hohenheim says it's not what he means. For example, the color of the eyes, the voice, the hair color, he says. Panaco gets a look of horrified realization on her face. Are you saying that thing wasn't Trisha? She demands. That those boys sacrificed their bodies to create something totally unrelated? That's the cruelest thing I've ever heard. Hohenheim says nothing, just glances sidelong at the open door. On the other side of it, Ed looks stunned as he listens in. The next morning, Panaco calls up the stairs to Ed to tell him that his father is leaving, then asks Hohenheim if he wants her to go and wake him. He says that it's fine, he doesn't want to miss the train, and thanks Panaco for having him. On his way out, he notices Panaco's corkboard full of photos and leans down to look at them. Can I take this photo, he asks, indicating the family picture of him, Trisha, Ed, and Al. Panaco tells him he can take any he likes, but he's satisfied with just that one. This is the only one we took with all four of us, he says. He tucks the picture into his breast pocket and turns toward the door. Panaco, you're still a good friend. Even though I look exactly the same as I did years ago, you've never treated me with suspicion. In exchange, I'm going to tell you something important, he says. Soon something terrible will happen in this country. Escape while you can. Despite the ominousness of that proclamation, Panaco is unmoved. Terrible things happen in this country every year, all the time. Why should I run away now? Looking to her board full of photos, she adds, and there are those who need this house as a place to come home to. I've given you my advice, Hohenheim says, then heads out the door. Panaco calls out to him before he gets too far. Try to come back once in a while for a meal, she says. Hohenheim looks surprised, then lifts his hand in farewell as he heads out once more. It's too bad, Panaco, he says grimly to himself as he gets further out. I won't be able to eat your cooking anymore. Back at the hotel in Central, Al talks with Winry, Ling, and Lanfon about his father showing up in Residual after being missing for ten years. Ling asks if he shouldn't go and see him, and Al says that he wouldn't know what to say. Do you dislike him? Ling asks. I don't dislike him, Al says. I don't even remember him. He mentions that he would like to discuss alchemy with him, since he seemed to know a lot going by the books he left behind. And then he face palms as he realizes Ed is probably just picking fights instead of taking the chance to ask their father anything about alchemy. I wouldn't be surprised to be punched dad in the face, he adds, and both Winry and Ling agree that that seems likely. <laughs> Alden asks if Ling is close to his father, and he says that he's never even had a conversation with him. This naturally leads Alan Winry to assume his father is dead, and they fret for a moment <laughs> if they're being insensitive, but Ling quickly corrects them. The man's an emperor, he says. He's not the type of person who I can casually speak to. Alan Winry are surprised by this, and when Ling confirms that he is indeed a prince, they're briefly overcome with giggles at the mental image this summons. <laughs> who wasn't? <laughs> <laughs> 
Lanfan, are they making fun of me? Ling asks. She offers to kill them for him. <laughs> like how Al's just bent over the bed laughing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when everyone recovers, Al asks about Ling's rather unprincely behavior, like collapsing in the street and mooching off strangers for food. And he explains that he's only one of many children of the Emperor. 24 princes and 19 princesses in total. Shin is a nation composed of 50 different ethnic clans, Ling continues to explain. The eldest daughter of each clan is presented to the emperor to be his concubine and bear his child. My mother is the Yao clan's representative among the emperor's concubines. I am the emperor's twelfth child, which means rising to the emperor's throne is well within reason. Al asks about how the inheritance works there, and Ling explains that the emperor has recently become ill and doesn't have long to live, so the clans are all vying for power. Whoever wins the emperor's favor will succeed him to the throne. I see, Al says. Since he's dying, the thing that would impress him the most is the secret to immortality. Alan Winry then ponder how Ling can succeed the Emperor if he becomes immortal, and Ling clarifies that he only wants to find and present something close enough to immortality that he can win the Emperor's favor. I only need him to raise my clan's position, even if it's by a small amount, he says. After that, I'll seize the throne on my own. I came to this country with the fate of 50,000 Yao people in my hands, lured by the legends that surround the Philosopher's Stone. And then I found out about your body's secret. He taps the chestplate of Al's armor. Your soul has been bound to a metal body. Because your body will never die, you're the closest thing to being immortal. Al stares at him for a moment, then covers his face with his hand and gives a humorless laugh. It's no use, Ling, he says. I'm not immortal. I don't even know if I'll have a normal human lifespan. He pulls his hand away and stares down at it. This body of mine is a ticking time bomb. Over at the hospital, Roy sits in a waiting room with his IV pole and a pile of books, Riza standing on guard behind him. The coroner we saw earlier during the Maria Ross incident, whose name is Knox, flops down in a seat nearby. They greet each other. Roy asks if he's not feeling well, and Knox says that he's in for lower back pain since coroners are on their feet all day. Silence settles for a few moments. Then Knox quietly says, When I heard that you were the one who burned that thing, I started to get a funny feeling. What are you plotting? You knew that I was plotting something, yet you still decided that thing was Maria Ross? Roy asks, just as quietly. Knox scolds him for doing a sloppy job with it, but says that the teeth did match the dental records, so he said it was her. If anyone else had done the autopsy, you could have found your ass in a world of trouble, he says. Roy says that the day Maria escaped, there was a large fire at a military factory, where many people burned to death. Considering your expertise, I figured you would be the one assigned to the case. You're clever, Mustang. Or stupid, Knox says. You ain't even seen me since Ishval. What made you think I'd cover for you now? We're comrades in arms, Roy answers. Knox scoffs at that. Comrades in arms, I thought we were closer than that. Sure brings back memories. You'd burn them, I'd dissect them. Ishval was nothing but a huge, bloody laboratory with human beings as the guinea pigs. We see Risa frowning as she silently listens in behind them, and Knox concludes with a sneer. We're not comrades in arms, we're accomplices. A hospital worker calls Knox's name, and he stands up to go, with one last parting shot for Roy. If you keep walking these dangerous tightropes, one day you're going to get a painful wake-up call. Roy, frowning down at the book in his lap, says, I already have. Knox glances down to see that Roy is studying a page on spinal anatomy, and he asks if someone got hurt. My subordinate suffered spinal damage that paralyzed his lower body, Roy says. Is there anything that can be done? Knox considers. It depends on the degree of damage, but if it's the spine, it's unlikely that he'll be able to return to service. We transition then to Havoc's room, where he's smoking in his hospital bed with a distant look in his eyes. Breda, who's just arrived, leans in to catch the ashes in an ashtray before they fall into the sheets. Aw, and they only give me one of these a day, Havoc says, still seeming out of it. Breda updates him about the Maria Ross situation, then asks about his legs. 
Can't you get Automail like the Full Metal Kid, he asks, when Havoc confirms that he can't move them at all. The nerve signals are completely cut off from my lower body, so it's impossible, he explains. Bradis scowls. Doesn't suit you, he says eventually. Huh? Havoc asks. The retired life doesn't suit you, Bradis says firmly, then leaves the room. Out in the waiting room, he meets up with Roy and Riza. He asks the colonel if he's had a chance to read his full report yet, and then, after glancing around to ensure no one is listening, he leans in and suggests consulting Dr. Marco about Havoc's condition. Is it possible to extend my vacation time? Breda asks. I'll take care of it, Roy says. Go. Out at Marco's little clinic, he finishes up treating a young boy's injured hand, then happily sees him and his mother off. Alone now, he decides to take a short break when there's another knock on the door. It's Breda, with a very serious expression on his face, as he tells Marco he's there to escort him back. Marco nervously insists that he has the wrong person, but Breda tells him not to play dumb. His expression goes oddly sinister as he says, You're Dr. Marco, the man who is creating Philosopher's Stones. Marco again tries to plead ignorance, but then he notices something else. Behind Breda, Gluttony peeks out from beneath a cloak. Marco panics and immediately tries to slam the door shut, but the man who appears to be Breda catches it with a sinister grin and pushes into the room with ease. That's no way to treat an old friend, he says, and then Envy takes on their usual form. They taunt Marco over his dump of a clinic, saying he would have so much better if he'd stayed with the military. Marco just grits his teeth and asks Envy what they want. To be honest, lately I've been running kind of low on good pawns, Envy says. They take hold of Marco's collar and offer a vicious grin. Let's work together again, Doc. Come to Central. Marco begs to be left alone, but Envy tells him he doesn't have a choice. Lus must have told you, too, that if you try anything funny, we'll erase this village from the map. No, don't, Marco yells desperately. Just kill me. Envy grins again. You think you can escape it all by dying? You're so naive. The Ishvalans, the convicted criminals? You sure have killed a lot of people for that philosopher's stone, Dr. Marco. You don't have the right to a peaceful life, or to find peace and death. Try anything funny and this village will be wiped out. And if you decide to commit suicide like the coward you are, it's bye-bye village. Do I make myself clear? There's only one choice available to you. You're coming with us. Behind them, Gluttony sniffs his way to Marco's cabinet and grabs the tiny vial containing the incomplete philosopher's stone. Later on, too late, the real Breda arrives and knocks on Marco's door to no avail. He asks a passing local if the doctor is out, and the man recognizes Breda as having been by earlier and asks if he forgot something. Breda tells him it's his first time here, and the man says, but I could have sworn I saw you going in there earlier, wearing a military uniform. Breda's eyes go wide in realization. He draws his gun and hurries to kick down Marco's door, but he finds only an empty room and the signs of an intense struggle. He punches the wall in frustration. Damn it! And that's the end of chapter 42. Not Dr. Marco. <laughs> I was like, that is a good idea. Yeah. But then he was too late. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> Envy was like, that is a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> Got a great idea. <laughs> Both Breda's said simultaneously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> chapter 43 picks up back in the central hotel room, where Al is explaining his ticking time bomb comment, how his metal body and human soul could reject each other at any time. It could be tomorrow, in ten years. It could be a hundred years, or even just a minute from now. Even I don't know when the time will come, he says. Ling listens seriously, while Winry looks absolutely horrified. Now do you understand, he finishes up. This body is the furthest thing from being immortal. Winry, very concerned, insists that that means Al needs to try and get his body back right away. But Ling has a different thought. When it gets too dangerous to stay in that body, can't you just transfer your soul into something else, he asks. You don't feel pain, and you never have to eat. Sounds like a pretty good way to live to me. There's nothing good about it, Winry shouts suddenly, jumping to her feet in anger. You, you don't know anything. Alan Ling both seem surprised by this outburst. She looks around at them, still upset, then mumbles an apology and quickly leaves the room. 
Al gets up and follows after her. He knocks on the door to her room and steps inside to find her sitting on her bed, clutching a pillow to her chest. It's funny, Al says. You and Big Brother always lose your temper before I get a chance to. I guess my timing's bad. But, Winry begins, and we transition to a moment from her memory, the first night after Ed and Al's human transmutation attempt. Winry is up late, tending to the feverish Ed, placing a fresh cool cloth on his forehead as he sleeps fitfully. She rubs her eyes tiredly as she leaves the room, only to find Al in his big armor body just outside, curled up against the wall and staring at the floor. Al, can't you sleep? She asks him. No, he says. I guess this body won't let me sleep. Aren't you cold? She asks instead, clutching at her own coat. I can't feel that either. I can't feel anything in this body. They're both silent for a moment. Then Al says, I never knew that the night was so long. Just a little while ago, Big Brother and I would stay up discussing alchemy and our future, and eventually we'd get tired, fall asleep, and have happy dreams. The night seems so short. But now, each night feels as if it's never going to end. He hunches over, clutching at the back of his head. It makes me think about things I shouldn't. Back in the present, Winry hides her face behind the pillow. After seeing you suffer like that, there's no way I want things to stay the way they are, she says in a shaky voice. You'll be able to get your original body back, right? Right? Al looks down and doesn't answer. Meanwhile, Ed is having a nightmare. He runs through a dark void, reaching futilely for a light in the distance. Give it back, he shouts. You did that to Al's body. You took him away. Give me back the only family I have left. Suddenly, the light he's reaching for becomes the featureless face of the truth, floating in front of him. Give him back? Whatever do you mean? It asks. The person who pulled back your brother's soul and gave him a body that can't sleep, that can't feel pain, that can't feel warmth, a body that can't even cry, was the full metal alchemist. You did this and no one else. You did it with your own hands. It isn't my fault your younger brother was turned into a suit of armor. As though lit by a spotlight, Joe Tucker and the Nina Camara appear behind Ed in the void. Tucker grins. You did this to him, Edward Elric, he taunts. You turned him into a monster. The truth also grins, and the shadowy hands that dragged Ed through the doors during the human transmutation attempt begin to snake around Ed. No, not just your brother, the truth says. A human hand joins the shadowy ones and touches Ed's face from behind, and a new voice calls his name. When he turns, it is the misshapen result of their failed transmutation reaching out to him. Don't leave me here like this, it begs. Please bring me back to life soon. Promise me? He repeats Ed's name as he looks on in horror. The shadow hands wrap around him, and a massive eye opens in the void. And then... Ed! He jerks awake. It's Panaco calling for him, letting him know that his father is leaving. Ed clenches his automail fist, frowning as he remembers that hand reaching out from the bloody mess within the transmutation circle. He looks out the window to watch Hohenheim leaves, and remembers him asking, Are you sure it was really Trisha? Later, Ed moves his arm around after Panaco finishes repairing the damage that Armstrong did, <laughs> and notes that it and his leg are both working fine. Panaco observes that Winry is taking her training very seriously, and Ed asks if she called recently. No, I can tell just by looking at the automail, she says. Her skills improved quite a bit. Ed looks down at his arm and smiles. It doesn't look any different, but now that you mention it, it is better, huh? I was afraid she might come running back as soon as her training got hard, but I guess I was just worrying needlessly, Panaco says, turning away to start cleaning up. Ed considers his arm again, now with a frown. Granny, he begins, but then falls silent. What is it? Panaco asks. She turns around when he doesn't answer right away and sees Ed looking anxious and uncomfortable. What's wrong, Ed? He hesitates for another moment, looking down. There's something I need you to help me with, he finally says. A little while later, the two of them grimly troop out to the burned remains of the Elric house, Ed carrying a shovel and Panaco a bucket with a few other tools inside. 
Ed clutches at his chest, his heart beating hard as they arrive. If I remember correctly, it's around here, Panako says. This is where I buried it. Ed remembers the transmutation and clutches harder at his chest, hunching over, his whole body starting to shake. Panako worriedly asks if they should stop. No, Ed says firmly, clenching his fist as he pulls himself together. My joints are starting to ache, which means the weather's about to change. Let's get this done with. <clears throat> they get to work digging, and sure enough, it soon begins to rain. Panako looks up to comment that they should hurry, and she sees Ed hunched over and retching. She hurries over to rub his back as he vomits into the grass and urges him not to push himself. My stomach, he moans. It feels like it's twisting itself in two. This is too painful an exercise even for you, Panako says. Let's stop. I don't want this to break you. Ed grits his teeth and uses the shuffle to brace himself as he stands back up. I can't move forward until I know for sure, he says. An alchemist is someone who seeks the truth. I can't just look at what's convenient and ignore everything else. He remembers his father accusing him of running away and wipes his mouth with a look of grim determination. I won't run away, no matter what. They get back to it, now with the rain pouring down on them and turning the churned-up ground into mud. Ed staggers away to be sick again, but swipes at his face with a fierce expression and continues digging, Panaka looking on in concern. Finally, they find what they're looking for, the shovel unearthing a bit of bone and hair. His heart pounding in his ears again, Ed carefully picks up the hair and rinses the mud off in the now rain-filled bucket. Granny, he says after a moment, Mama had chestnut-colored hair. He turns and holds up the hair with a look of shocked dismay. This is black. They unearth the rest of the remains, and Panako begins examining and measuring the bones, putting her medical knowledge to use. I can judge the height by the length of the femur, she says, and we can tell the gender by looking at the pelvis. Granny, Ed says, but he doesn't have to finish. This thing has none of Trisha's characteristics, Panako confirms. This is not your mother. Ed sinks to his knees in the mud. It's a completely different person, Panako thinks to herself. No, a different thing altogether. So these boys sacrifice their bodies for some thing? It's all too cruel. She starts to realize something about Al with regards to all this, but before she can get too far, Ed begins to laugh. Quietly at first, then throwing his head back and laughing wildly into the falling rain. It's true, he says when he stops. A dead person can never come back to life, no matter what we do. That's the truth. Whether it's because of the rules of alchemy or because it's a sin, that's just how it is. What am I doing? Panako, understandably concerned, tells him to get a hold of himself and hang in there, but he calmly says that he's fine. From that day until just now, that thing was a symbol of my despair, he says. But now this will lead to new hope. Isn't it ironic, Granny? The answer was right here at the starting point all along. He looks at her now with renewed fire in his eyes and says, Al can be returned to normal. Elsewhere, our good friend Yoki has come across a familiar girl with a familiar tiny panda, both lying face down on the ground. <laughs> he makes a very half-hearted attempt to wake her, then starts searching her for valuables. That's our Yoki. <laughs> As expected. Yep. <laughs> Unfortunately for him, Xiaomei is very protective of her owner, and she immediately chomps down on his hand in retaliation. Like, his whole hand. <laughs> I appreciated this very much. Yeah. <laughs> He backs off, apologizing profusely to the tiny panda. <laughs> a little bit later, May has recovered, and Yoki has evidently convinced her he was trying to help the whole time, as she thanks him for saving her life, though Xiaomei still chews on him. <laughs> he asks her what a little girl like her is doing out here all alone, and she cheerfully says that she's looking for Edward Elric. Yoki immediately begins sputtering about how that brat ruined his life, but May probably doesn't hear it through her renewed daydream fantasy of meeting the now-confirmed famous Edward Elric. <laughs> 
with cummerbund complete with cummerbund yes <laughs> glass of wine yes <laughs> extremely long braid <laughs> yuki then remembers that ed is in fact a state alchemist and with a scheming grin promises may that his servant will lead them right to him we then cut to said servant <laughs> typical scar having <laughs> scar having tracked down another state alchemist for his crusade along the waterway at night this alchemist is a rather interesting looking man named i'm not trying to pronounce this giolio Giulio Comanche? Giulio Comanche. Sure. <laughs> Who has a top hat, a peg leg, and a glorious mustache. He definitely mm -hmm. looks like a supervillain. <laughs> <laughs> he looks like a like like a nineties anime villain. He looks like a character from <laughs> Professor Layton. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> With the big eyes and like the big nose and mm -hmm. cartoon mustache. <laughs> and top hat. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> He recognizes Scar for who he is, and with an eager grin, strips off his white gloves to reveal a set of very intricate alchemical symbols tattooed across both hands. You would challenge me to battle, knowing that I am the silver alchemist? He asks. I applaud your courage. And then they fight. Comanche's style seems to involve a lot of metal weaponry made with alchemy, and also a lot of spinning. Like, mm -hmm. a lot of spinning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not only is he cartoon-esque in his appearance, but also in his tactics. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's like he spins his weapons and he spins himself. He's like a top, and then a he, lot of spinning. he made a bunch of like, uh, what do you call them? Shuriken? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. he made a bunch of like yeah, ninja stars and spun around mm -hmm. and then threw them at Scar. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> he holds his own for quite a while, even managing to draw blood on Scar, and he applauds his opponent's skill. But those hands of yours only know how to destroy. He adds, "You're no match for those of us with the ability to create." Unfortunately, he missed said destruction alchemy being used on his prosthetic leg, which crumbles underneath him and sends him plunging into the nearby water. Scar follows after him, grasping Comanche's face in his hand. He panics, seeking something to make a weapon out of, but with nothing but water around, Scar takes out another alchemist on his list. And that's the end of chapter 43. Mm -hmm. His top hat bubbles to the surface with a glug yeah. glug. Mm -hmm. With the blood. Yes. <laughs> that's how you know he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> I liked his twirling mustache, though, in some of the yeah. fight scenes. <laughs> I feel like Arakawa put a lot of effort into designing this character for him to be just like a, in a one-off fight. I know. <laughs> anyway, yeah, that's the end of what we read for now, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yay. <laughs> Good times. Yeah. Good stuff. Mm. Digging, up, digging up bodies. <laughs> I was going to say, nobody got to Making more. Technically... Yes, yes, make him more. <laughs> Technically, uh, Comanche's or Comanche's like yeah, he's probably Comanche's not like one piece anymore. <laughs> no, yeah, he's probably completely exploded. Yeah, but his leg, his prosthetic leg was peg leg was specifically also destroyed yeah. <laughs> as a part of the fight. What a good time! Mm -hmm. So many things happened. Yeah, they're relatively short chapters. It feels like, but yeah, did happen. Yeah, I guess when you release a chapter every month, you have to really action pack every single chapter. Yeah. I feel like so many mm. things happen every chapter. Yeah. Anyway, so we met Hohenheim. Well, we, we learned about him more. I guess we met him last time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. He's a weirdo. He continued to be weird. That's correct. <laughs> yep. And he... Yeah, literally everything he did was weird. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. he had a weird interaction with Ed, and then he mumbled some stuff at Trisha's grave, and then he told Pinako that something bad was going to happen, and then peaced out into the, into the night. And by into the night, mm -hmm. I mean into the daylight, but it was like... <laughs> It was the equivalent of running away into the night. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. 
my note says, what a psycho. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love how weird he is. Like, he's just, like... Mm-hmm. Like, he's not, like, mean. He's just, like... He's aloof. Off-putting. Like, he doesn't, yeah. like he's not quite all there. He's definitely off-puttingly aloof. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Like, you can tell... I do think it is the kind of, like, vampire situation where he's just, like, I'm separate from the mortals, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's clearly been alive in the same form for quite a long time, so that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. yeah. But then yet he still took the photo of the family, so... Yeah, he definitely seems, like, to not quite get it. Yeah. But, like, obviously has mm-hmm. some, like, emotional ties to things. He's like, is this how you be a person? He was like, my yeah. house is gone. And Ed is like, I burned it down. <laughs> I broke it down to show my resolve, and he was like, did you really? That's, that's mm-hmm. not... Yeah. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I like how you refer yeah. to it as my house. I have nowhere to go. Not like, yeah. oh, I'm so sorry about the, you know, trauma that you've experienced mm-hmm. <laughs> as your father. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like, he does seem to like... Like you said, he takes the family photo, and he seems to be like mourning Trisha at the grave, and... Yeah, and he regrets like, not seems to like want to like have a fatherly interaction with his son and decides he can't for some reason. <laughs> well, I think he doesn't what he doesn't understand has missed out on in the last like 10 years is like the give and take of being yeah. a parent. Mm-hmm. So he's probably like I guess I can't just pat him on the head. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But he does seem regretful about it, which is what's interesting. Yes. Mm-hmm. And conflicted. Yeah, he yeah. said some sort of um interesting and and uh convoluted isn't the word i don't cryptic? know cryptic yeah cryptic that's a great way to describe it things at trisha's grave where he was like why did you die just a while longer we promised each other why did you mm-hmm. leave me behind that's suspicious <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. he also ignored ed during that scene so i mean that's also adding to the weirdness where yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah he was very consumed it seemed like he obviously he doesn't seem to have a I mean I don't know he has some feelings toward Ed and Al he remembered them as tiny babies mm-hmm. but it seemed like he really cared more about Trisha Elric so yeah. yeah I don't know when he left they were like not really people yet they were just little <laughs> little babs yeah. little lumps <laughs> yeah I don't know I remember um, um, my dad was in the military when I was growing up mm-hmm. that's for the benefit of our audience because you guys already know that mm-hmm. um, <laughs> yeah. yes um, and he was deployed for a little while when I was, like, three, four-ish. Mm-hmm. And apparently, like, when he came back, like, one of the things he said to my mom was, like, she's like a person now. <laughs> <laughs> mom was like, yeah. Yeah. Probably sassy, I would imagine. Yeah. <laughs> Knowing you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, kids change a lot when they're little tiny babies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like a person now. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. (laughs) So yeah, I'm sure. But I mean, in his case, (laughs) unlike your father, there's (laughs) also just just unlet un like added level of removal from the rest of everyone else's reality. Mm -hmm. On top of that, I Mm -hmm. guess. Yeah, you know. But I love the moment when uh, the whole like you were running away bit. Mm -hmm. Because like in addition to like part of his weirdness is like like I said he like he doesn't seem to be like trying to be mean or anything, and he's just like observing Mm -hmm. like. Mm making an observation and it's yeah. freaking Ed out because he's right mm-hmm. but, yeah. <laughs> it is framed as him in kind of a villainy way where he's like yeah, all drawn he's all in like shadow over yeah. in shadow yeah. yeah but it's more like ed's internal struggle manifested mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it yeah. is true that he i think his nature the 
the nature of Hohenheim's interactions with other people is that they are just like observational, mm-hmm. right? So he's just like, you did this. It probably wasn't for the reason that you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I bet other people think that and know that too, but mm-hmm. they just don't say that. They wouldn't say it because, you know, people don't say that to other people. <laughs> yeah. They don't say, you're brazenly lying to yourself. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. No, we tend to let other people just live out their fantasies about themselves yeah. for a long time. <laughs> yeah, we just go like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. okay. And then in the background, you're like, dude, he definitely burned it down because he doesn't want to deal with the shame. Yeah. <laughs> He's totally lying to himself. Yeah. It's like, we all believe in you, Ed. Yeah. You're doing great. <laughs> you do you, buddy. <laughs> like, man, he burned their house down crazy. So crazy. It's <laughs> totally falling apart. <laughs> Yes. And he did lose an arm and a leg, so yeah. he kind of is literally falling apart. <laughs> but Hohenheim is like, you made a mistake. And then he also goes on to be like, why did no one scold them for their mistake? And mm-hmm. then Pinaco's like, how the fuck am I supposed to do that? <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, you know, if you'd been around, maybe they wouldn't have done this. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. All so in the end, she happens. did the scolding. Yes. <laughs> well, she's... <laughs> Despite the fact that he has an unchanging appearance and he's probably older than her, she's the true, you know, scolding mm-hmm. grandma, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I also find it really interesting that moment where he's like, like obviously saying it out loud so Ed can hear. Mm-hmm. Like he knows that Ed is listening in on their conversation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When... Like to get him thinking in that direction. Yeah. Because yeah. he knows that Ed won't take his advice, surely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I do like, yeah, you, you specifically pointed out, I was thinking like, oh, he just closed the door. And then it's open. I knew it was going to be open in the scene where he was talking. So I guess Ed opened the mm-hmm. door or something. And then Hohenheim takes note of it. So he, yeah, mm-hmm. specifically, specifically said it out loud mm-hmm. to get him thinking, a thinking. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, very, mm-hmm. very interesting character, Hohenheim. <laughs> yeah, so in summary, yeah. he's still weird. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Mostly he's still a mystery right now. But uh... <laughs> there's some clues. He left some mm-hmm. clues. I just don't think we know where they go yet. Yeah. He said they they yeah. they promise Trisha and him promised something and he left she left him behind or whatever and mm-hmm. called that out for his <laughs> his lies to himself mm-hmm. and kind of pointed him in the right direction. So he kind of did do something nice for Ed in the end. Yeah. Yeah. So that's good. Yeah, he's probably like, "How do fatherhood this will work?" <laughs> mm. <laughs> he's like, "I was gonna pat him on the head to console him, but instead, I just uh, shattered his whole story that he told himself." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which, in the end, was for the best. But yeah, he was like, "Walks down the sure? road and like pats himself on the shoulder, like good job, good job." On him. <laughs> <laughs> he pulls out the photo and he's like, "You did it, kid. You did it. Yeah, <laughs> you did the fatherhood." <laughs> I earned this photo of my family yeah. today. <laughs> yeah. But then he's like, by the way, something terrible will happen. Anyway, see you later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Pinocchio was like, bad things happen all the time, which is interesting. Um, mm-hmm. And true, I think, as we know. But yeah, she was like, yeah. what the hell are you talking about, guy? And he was like, well, I told you. Anyway, see you later. <laughs> and like, this yeah. Is yeah. Like... <laughs> so yeah, sounds like something even worse is going to happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One little thing I do like in that scene is like, he says earlier that like Ed is exactly like he was at that age, which is funny. Yeah. Yes, it is um, funny because of like how different they seem right now. But mm-hmm. the way he leaves is like exactly the same way Ed did, where he like just kind of like like does the like little wave the over his shoulder. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> they definitely have a similar 
body language and mm-hmm. um I bet you Hohenheim was sassy as a youth. <laughs> yeah. He just translated that sassy style observation style into a really um objective observation style where in such a way where nobody can get mad at you just for being sassy, you know? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then Al's like, man, I wish I could talk to him. I know Ed's not gonna talk to him about alchemy. Yeah. Crap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Al says yeah, that I love he's how he's like, too, so. mm-hmm. yeah, which makes sense because like he was really young, really. really yeah, they would have been like four and five ish. Yeah, when he left if it was ten years ago, and like that's like kind of the tipping point of when you start remembering stuff. Yeah, I think most yeah. people have a lot of memories from. But I mean, I think like especially five, yeah. even, uh, even especially because Hohenheim was kind of always engrossed in his studies, mm-hmm. so because you know. It might, you might have like a couple memories from that time, but if your dad's not around that often, then it's probably mm-hmm. even more likely that you don't have a single one. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, totally. It's like even the even the couple of memories we see Ed have are mostly of him like looking at him from behind and studying yeah. and stuff, so. or leaving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it traumatically <laughs> leaving. Probably, yeah, it's like which is probably not a not a great memory to mm-hmm. have as your only memory you know, of your father. Impression of your father. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess not. I think it's really interesting that, like, Ed, everybody's mad at Hohenheim, right? But we don't know about Mm -hmm. Trisha's perspective yet. Mm -hmm. So he's, the implication is that he's like, oh, we made this promise or whatever. Mm -hmm. But, like, we don't know. So Ed is like, you left us and she she died because she was, you know, working so hard to take care of us and blah, blah, blah. But, like, there's part of me that's like, maybe you made all that up. Like, maybe she Mm -hmm. knew what was going on. We don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there seems to be some implication that like, there was an awareness of him leaving for a reason. Like, mm-hmm. since he says, like, oh, we made a promise, you just needed to wait a little longer. Like, yeah. yeah. But yeah, he definitely could have called. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just think... He's probably like, what's a phone? Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> I've been alive for hundreds of years. <laughs> what is this? Mm-hmm. But yeah. I don't know. But yeah, I just feel like like Ed being Ed and his, like, only memories being of his father leaving would, you know, translate into... Just being angry and blaming yeah. a lot of stuff mm-hmm. on him. Yeah. yeah. How much he deserves. <laughs> I mean, he obviously deserves some. <laughs> <laughs> he obviously mm-hmm. deserves some. I'm just intrigued yeah. at this point in the story as to, and I have read ahead, but this still hasn't been answered yet. So I'm intrigued about mm-hmm. this. The relationship between Hohenheim and Trisha is not, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. clear at this point. And we've been led to believe that it, I don't know, that she was like torn up when he left or whatever but we don't know we don't know that mm-hmm. yeah i'm sure yeah, raising tiny baby Ednell was yeah. uh challenging regardless but yeah mm-hmm. yeah we have seen very little trisha it's only in his memories and it's only only in their memories and it was like you know one time or something so mm-hmm. we haven't yeah. actually seen any like flashbacks other than the transmutation which turned out wasn't her anyway so that yeah. doesn't count and mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i mean i think we've seen some like mem- maybe a memory or photos of her but it's like stills like it's never been like a flashback or whatever mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah yeah they've just been like little like idyllic childhood memories mm-hmm. and then she died yeah like, yeah <laughs> then she was dead yes mm-hmm. yeah so anyway so it's kind of interesting that now we have a bit of hohenheim's perspective about what happened where it seemed like there was some kind of agreement of some kind mm-hmm. So regardless of what Ed thinks, and also regardless yeah. of Hohenheim being an a-hole. I mean, I'm sure that's, that's part of it, but yeah, yeah. so mm-hmm. I find that interesting about yeah. this. Yeah, I do like the difference in like Ed's reaction to all this and Al's reaction, because <laughs> Al's a little more 
Al's, you know, Al is Al. He has a different yes. personality, but also oh, he's yeah. a little more removed from like the emotional, like immediate, mm-hmm. like his aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, by not having those memories that it has. Yes, because yeah, he's like. I mean, I know that. Yeah, he sees him as a resource, and Ed sees him as a you know a burden, <laughs> so yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's like, Ed's probably going to punch him in both Winry and Ling, who hasn't known Ed for very long. Or like, yeah, he's definitely going to punch him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's definitely in character. He does say he would punch him if they weren't standing in front of Trisha's grave. grave. That's right. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> he's predisposed to punch. So. Yeah. It's one of his like first instincts. Yeah. <laughs> you know the punching reflex. Yes. <laughs> if Owenheim had been around, he could have uh, trained that away out of Ed. <laughs> but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he's I probably like I had. He's probably like I had the same punching reflex. This is I was a kid. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> anyway. mm, I want to. Uh, I don't have any other things to say specifically about Hohenheim. Um. So there's something that that just in general that that, that I, I enjoy about this the piece of work. Um. <laughs> And sort of the the discussion of of immortality and sort of the different perspectives you have of it, because mm-hmm. you've got Al, who they've took mm-hmm. you see a little bit in this in, in these two chapters, and then Hohenheim. Yeah. Um, we've seen it sort of from the homunculi, who are kind of immortal, um, but still can die. And um, I don't. It's just very interesting to sort of see people have different attained it differently mm-hmm. and have their own struggles with it mm-hmm. um and because yeah you've got um like al and 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 barry's situation where they're in a body that can't feel anything they can't eat they can't feel satisfied from you know any of sort of the the joys in life they can't sleep which was horrifying when i read that part oh of the yeah chapter. oh yeah um and then you've got hohenheim who's as you mentioned, like detached from reality and yeah. very sort of out of it. Um, and then you've got the the homunculi who sort of have a superiority complex mm. and yeah, that's true. And um, so yeah, I don't know. It's just it's just very interesting, and I it's one of the things that I enjoy a lot about it is sort of seeing the different perspectives and how you know the the different takes on on sort of why or how it's not such a great thing after all anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's always one of those fun things to explore in fiction since it's like obviously something we by nature have no experience with in real life. What? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, <laughs> you haven't used a philosopher's stone? You haven't drunk in the blood of a unicorn? I mean, <laughs> don't tell anyone. <laughs> oh, right. Sorry. We're supposed to keep that between us on this podcast. <laughs> but yeah, just kind of like the human like nature of like thinking about that and like how it would be yeah because there are trade-offs right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and this is the first time we really saw some of the trade-offs like it's always been discussed like and it's interesting that you bring up the cause of like the the homunculi are like we're better than humans Mm -hmm. i wonder if any i wonder if you can die a natural death as a homunculus like does the soul ever run out or do they only die when they're you know mortally wounded or whatever I don't know. Not yeah. not clear yet in the text, at least, or potentially not to be discussed at all. But yeah, um, and then yeah, who knows what the fuck is going on with Hohenheim? 
but obviously yeah. he's mm-hmm. been alive for quite a long time. And then with these, mm-hmm. the soul put into something else, we didn't really get a look in Barry's psyche, except that he was really excited to chop himself up, <laughs> yeah. which was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> but Al, the scene with Al and Winry, I found it really disturbing, actually. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Where the first time or like the first you know probably few nights or whatever he was just like guess i don't sleep or need to eat or do all the any Mm -hmm. of these things normal things yeah it's like yeah you can never be satisfied Mm -hmm. on the it's like you never feel pain but you can also never be satisfied Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it had to be like so just horrifying because i mean he's already reeling from all the trauma they've just gone through until like Mm -hmm to just discover this thing it's like oh i i can't sleep like there's literally no relief ever yeah from waking life you know and like Mm -hmm. sleep i feel like not getting like sleep deprivation is torture so like yeah yeah, i don't know the whole idea of it was like really disturbing which i mean Mm -hmm. which makes sense about winry's um outburst (laughs) oh yeah it's like you're perfect winry's like it's not perfect it sucks Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah Yeah. it's sad else comment that like he never has a chance to lose his temper because he's yeah. got Winry and Ed around. <laughs> yeah, legitimate. Yeah. <laughs> to get mad on his behalf. Yeah. Yeah. That's another, um, like, sweet, kind of sweet, I guess, in a weird way, uh, moment between, like, Al and Winry. Oh, I loved oh, yeah. it, actually. Their relationship yeah. together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, it's it's sweet. It was disturbing and sweet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was disturbing it's and sweet then sweet. because of how... Yeah, it's sweet because of how much they care about each other. Yes. It's oh, like yeah. disturbing why it came up. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I mean, they did try to transmute a human and also mm-hmm. lost all their limbs and whatnot. So, yeah, <laughs> the yeah. whole thing was disturbing, yeah. but that was an extra disturbing layer on top of it that we yeah. weren't yet aware of. But it's, yeah, I've never mm-hmm. thought about does Al sleep or not. You think he could at least like shut down like a computer? <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Power down. laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> also like the scene also shows like we've obviously you know seen how like the trauma of that night is affected at now but it also shows like like Winry's there she's the same age as them mm-hmm. and she's like up, she's staying up in the middle of the night yeah, tending to her like dying friends yes like, <laughs> her dying and friends who can't sleep friends yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah I know I know when we don't I feel like they haven't it's alluded to like Winry's like Winry was really concerned about them joining the military and stuff like obviously she's also experienced a lot of trauma in her life mm-hmm. but this specific time wasn't addressed yet I would say yeah so yeah of course Winry's a child and she's like tending to her friend who's having like a super whatever crazy infection or something from losing mm-hmm. all his limbs yeah yeah mm-hmm. like and by all I mean two <laughs> <laughs> Fifty percent of his limbs. Yeah. This is even pre the automail surgery. Like he didn't even have the mm-hmm. surgery yet. This was yeah. just when he was like bandaged up or whatever. So disturbing, as stated mm-hmm. previously. Yeah. But it also explains a lot about Wernery and how close mm-hmm. they all are. I mean, I think it just adds color to their relationship, I would say. Yeah. And it's sweet mm-hmm. to see them together without Ed. I think we've yeah. talked about that a couple times when because Ed's been kind of away from them for a couple chapters. So Yeah. It's nice. Mm-hmm. Disturbing. Yeah, I think it shows some. Like we talked about a little bit with the, um, like when we first got the flashback to them burning their house down, mm-hmm. and it was kind of surprising to be like, oh, like Winry and Pranaka were there; they were mm-hmm. part of that. Like I think this further shows that, like, 
Like they all went through this together. Like she's really a part of their lives. In this mm-hmm. <laughs> I was half expecting you to call them enablers. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> they are their enablers. That's definitely true. They're, they're, they're the ones going like, okay, Ed, we believe in you. Oh my God, he's pretty. Yeah, sad. exactly. They were, <laughs> that's exactly who I was referring to when I said that. <laughs> when they, when Ed and Al left to go do whatever they're doing with the military, they walked to the door and Pinocchio and Winnie looked at each other and they were like, he burned down the house. Can you believe yeah. it? What a crazy kid. <laughs> and then Panaka's just laughing like, I was supposed to stop them. That's like my job. But I just, I let them do it. <laughs> Pinaka cleaned up after them. Like, they are. They she's, are yeah, she's, like, I, yeah. she's like, I already buried a body for them. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I think I've done my, <laughs> done my duty here. They're kind of all complicit in this, uh, like, you know, kind of like uh, emotional cover up. Right, like mm-hmm. I think you said, like emotional code, but it's like it is like a crime they all like, know about and are <laughs> keeping mm-hmm. secret. Like, oh, you are technically. right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't think about it. <laughs> I mean, I think it's like you know how do you ever you know in like high school they make you do all those like stupid debates that are like, is this thing really a crime or if you did this, is this a crime? It's like yeah. one of the things where it's like, okay, they technically broke the law, but they were kids, so we're just gonna like cover yeah. it up. Like that's yeah. the kind of mm-hmm. this is the. This is the moral line that we're walking with all of FMA, essentially, right? Yes. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, nobody's going to find a weird homunculus, dead uh, chimera in Reservoir Lake. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Although I guess technically the military did find out immediately, so. Mm-hmm. They also. No, it's only Roy, he doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> so he also participated in the cover up immediately. Apparently, multiple times, too, uh, <laughs> as he was discussing, what, not, not a cover up, but. Knox described him as his accomplice. So yeah, mm-hmm. Roy has also um, he has his own um, relationship with the law. Yes, yeah. <laughs> relationship with the law. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think in this case, Roy wants them to be successful, and mm-hmm. this is the this is their really their only opportunity to, you know, get the kind of access and and funding they need to figure out how to restore their bodies. So I guess he mm-hmm. thinks that he's doing them a solid, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the impression that I have. But, yes. Roy definitely has his own, marches to his own drummer regarding the law and the rules. Mm-hmm. Well, so, um, I did, I, th- I had a different interpretation of, of that conversation. Because, like, you know, Roy called them comrades in arms, and Knox called them accomplices. Mm. But I didn't take that to mean like they were doing illegal things no. necessarily, but more like sort of what is it? What's the term? Sanctioned crime? Yeah, yeah no, it was about them. Like, Immoral. Yeah, it was about the morality of <laughs> okay, what, they, okay. what they did in the war. Well, it, they, just, it definitely uh, wasn't illegal. I mean, they were definitely okay. ordered to kill a bunch of people. Like <laughs> okay, I, just the, it sounded like you you know you may have had a different interpretation than that. Um, Roy is a but, criminal. Uh, I'm just, saying it now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I think it's funny to use the word accomplices in that conversation. Yes. So. Yeah. <laughs> About breaking the law. <laughs> yes. Both. Yeah. You can be an accompli- a moral accomplice in a questionable moral activity, or you can be an yeah. accomplice in a crime. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Classic. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, you are right about that. I never thought about it, but mm-hmm. technically they are accomplices. Yeah. Pinocos especially mm-hmm. helped them cover it up. I mean, Winry didn't, mm-hmm. but yeah. 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 Disturbing. Yeah. <laughs> but 
but it okay, but it turned out that it wasn't Trisha anyway. It wasn't Trisha's body. It was yeah. just some random body. Yeah, it's like speaking of disturbing. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, disturbing but liberating? Question mark. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's such a it's such a visceral scene when they're digging up the Yeah. The body. Yeah. Like I remember like first reading that it like hit hard. Like You're kind of like, I really hope they don't do it. I really hope they yeah. don't find the bones. I really hope they don't. And then the first thing he pulls up is like a bit of hair and you're just like, Oh no and then Yeah. Yeah, yeah even just like leading up to that, like the rain falling down and then like getting he's covered barfing. in mud and he's like mm-hmm. yeah, vomiting over like over the Shaking. thing he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean well it was a horrible mistake. In in the mm-hmm. yeah. and also like, Pinaco says in her conversation with Hohenheim that it's like they killed their mother twice. Yeah. Like, I mean that level of or they watched her die twice, right? It's like that level of guilt, like they killed yeah. her again. Mm-hmm. But realizing mm-hmm. that it wasn't her, kind of almost like absolved them of that, I guess. Yeah. yeah, it's obviously very cathartic for Ed at the end. Like it's a struggle yeah. to get through. But... That's why it was in the rain. Symbolism. Yes. <laughs> Cleansing. Yes. <laughs> but like through the horrible experience, first of all, he realized that it, it wasn't it wasn't Trisha. And then also he realized that he had like an epiphany about Al. So he thinks mm-hmm. that Al can be returned to normal. That's mm-hmm. not necessarily further explored, but mm-hmm. based on this knowledge, now he thinks that Al He's more more certain that Al can be restored. So that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's like a weight off of his mind and also a, like seems to get him like pointed in a new direction on mm-hmm. their goal. So like definitely a very good thing in the end, even though it was obviously horribly traumatizing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Every chapter is horribly traumatizing. I don't know yeah. why. It's <laughs> like you can't rank them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's like, good job, Hohenheim. You, you did it. I know, right? He did it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's like you were a dad. You pointed him in the right direction. Yeah. <laughs> so Panaco continues to be. Um, yeah, she helped Ed. Her best grandma in these. Oh yeah. Badass yeah. grandma. The Panthers of mm-hmm. Resemble strikes again. Yes. <laughs> Where she's like, all right, you want to dig up a dead body? Fine, I'll help you dig up a dead body <laughs> that I buried for you in the first place. You ungrateful child. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna measure its femur for you. Yeah. Well, the bones are just bones now. All mm-hmm. weird bones. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little bit less uh, horrifying when it's not a mm-hmm. a wheezing, horrified, yeah. open mouth, <laughs> like yeah. weird looking Camaro with bones sticking out and blood everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I can't even imagine how horrific that was for Pinocchio burying that. Yeah, thing. like you gotta go <laughs> yeah. in there. Like what the f? <laughs> this is why Pinocchio's a badass. Yeah, <laughs> this is what I'm saying. She's like seen some shit. Mm-hmm. And also like the little like the little, like further acknowledgement of like how much knowledge goes into being an automobile. Mm-hmm mechanic mm-hmm. in this world it's yeah. like she's got like just casual medical knowledge of yeah, <laughs> yeah you could tell to, like examine a skeleton and mm-hmm. so yeah. yes therefore proving that and she like mm-hmm. i like that she came prepared for all this too yeah like it wasn't just mm-hmm. like get the shovels it was like and then i'll bring some measuring tape and like probably mm-hmm. other shit to like mm-hmm. determine for certain yeah so the fact that it wasn't their mom does bring some questions because mm-hmm. like Ed concludes that it's impossible to bring the dead back to life. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's necessarily enough proof. What if that was just some random dead guy that they brought <laughs> back to life? Um, the only thing that makes me think otherwise is I think that part of their equation was some genetic material. Yeah. So both Ed and Al put some blood in there. 
And I guess that fused to make that guy. So is that essentially their baby? (laughs) 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 Right, a fusion of the two DNA. You know, a zygote, a fertilized zygote. So is it their baby? It's like their weird, like, bloodborne magic baby. Yeah. Yeah. It's like like a weird twin or something. Yeah, maybe. Triplet. <laughs> oh, yeah, triplet. That but, guy. Um, is your assumption that it was a dude because Pinako says that you can measure the, look at the pelvis and tell what the gender is or what the sex is? Oh, yeah, I guess I never did specify that it was... She just uh, said this has none of your mom's characteristics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't matter. I mean, who knows? It was yeah. probably horribly misshapen <laughs> in whatever way it was misshapen. Mm-hmm. Apparently it had hips, though. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> And the don't, don't lie. Yeah, nope, okay. I was going to go there if none of you did. <laughs> we can never unknow. Like, out of the three, it was one of us had to. Yeah. <laughs> we, li- we were, you know, teens in the early 2000s. It's impossible to unknow. Yes. <laughs> like the lyrics to Blue. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I guess it's some kind of thing. It It was made of the same things as people. So it was mm-hmm. like a homunculus, but mm-hmm. yeah, it seems like it's like, like if you try to do human transmutation, like, like the laws of the world are like, I can't do that. I'll just create some kind of thing, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> out of your like human grocery shopping list. So. Yeah. yeah, out of your your pork and <laughs> yes, <laughs> bones or whatever uh, Roy asked for. Although that was for a, yeah. a mannequin, not a, mm-hmm. a human. Yeah, they're like, you know, however many liters of saltpeter. Salt <laughs> <laughs> it's the only thing that we know. It's like some some nitrogen Lime, or whatever. Phosphorus. Yeah. I think. Cinnabar. I can make up some more <laughs> shit. Lead. <laughs> you need those for people, right? <laughs> Do you need lead? I know iron. <laughs> I don't remember what was in it. I'm sure we could water. You need a lot of water. That was just, that was the first ingredient. It's, it might have said saltpeter, Peter, I can't remember. I'm pretty sure <laughs> I it did. I said saltpeter, yeah. I can't remember what saltpeter is, but it's a thing. Saltpeter, John. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you think you make a thing. And, like, I think for alchemy, it seems like you have to, like, envision the shape, right? Like, you, it's not like you just go, like, I guess I'll use this stuff and make a thing. It's like you have to kind of imagine it. So, like... They had to imagine they were trying to create a person, so it yeah. probably yeah. puts all that stuff together like a person. Mm-hmm. But it seemed to be vaguely person shaped. <laughs> it sure had a horrifying person face. Yes. It had some person functions. It had some person bones. <laughs> <laughs> had a hand, at least one. It had some hair. The hair looked pretty long. <laughs> at least one. <laughs> There's no proof of more than one. <laughs> <laughs> it's so disturbing that it's really funny. <laughs> we laugh because it's hard. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we'll never know what they made, but they made some kind of. They made an attempt to make all of those individual minerals into a person-shaped mm-hmm. object, which yeah. they su- questionably succeeded in. But yeah. like, is it a yeah. person? That's or always not? Uh, difficult to tell. Yeah, as always, masterful use of shadow from our car. Oh yeah. Oh, God, you never see the full thing, but you're like, that's a horrifying sort of person shape. The fa- <laughs> <laughs> Just the face is horrifying in Ed's nightmare. Uh-huh. Where it's like, yeah. bring me back, Ed. Bring me back. It's like, oh my god. <laughs> I can't unsee the giant gaping mouth. There's something about it that's really horrifying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Ed needs to stop uh, 
eating Tex-Mex after like 10 o'clock because he has some <laughs> trippy nightmares. Che no yeah. cheese dreams. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Has he? Oh, he had another nightmare about their mom earlier, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. That's right. Again, not a memory, but a nightmare. It's yeah. completely different. Well, anyway, that was a great discovery. Great. So great. But <laughs> they're on, he's on a renewed path toward solving the mystery of Al's body, I guess. Yes. <laughs> Meanwhile, Link thinks he's one step closer to immortality. Mm -hmm. Finding immortality. I love them freaking, or like, hysterically cracking up when they find out that he's a prince. <laughs> <laughs> that was like the most rewarding chapter. Or like, yes. panel, couple panels of the chapter. I liked when, um, after that, uh, he talks about marrying her. <laughs> oh yeah. And, and she has the same sort of, yeah, yeah. um, same sort of type of gag as with the chainsaw earlier right. with, with her and with Mary, or, uh, her and Ed. Yeah, because she's like, oh, teehee, and like smacking him with a wrench. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it didn't flow well in my summary. So no, it's fine. Yeah. Trim, yeah. That, trim that panel. It's somewhat irrelevant. It's more I so that it's funny. Like, yeah, it's about to have him be like, are they making fun of me? And I'm being like, I can kill them. Yes. <laughs> but that part is better. A better yeah. joke. Yes. It's one joke followed by a significantly better joke. I do like, yeah, yeah they're like, he asks in their like sheen language or whatever. You can tell it's like mm -hmm. the horizontal no. panel. Yeah. <laughs> or like, uh, not panel, but speech bubbles. And then, but Al is like, no, 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 no. My body is a ticking time bomb. I don't, mm -hmm. I, I'm judging by Winnie's reaction that she didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. It seems to be news to her. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think it's kind of news to Al. Like, I think he only really started thinking about it when, like, Barry the Chopper, mm -hmm. Chopper's body came into play. Instigator. So. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Multiple life crisis causing Barry the Chopper. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, elsewhere, Roy and Havoc are still recovering in the hospital. We briefly talked about mm -hmm. Knox. That's the coroner's name. He is, continues mm -hmm. yep. to be great. I'm glad he came back. Yeah. I was like, oh, it's him. Long time no see. I love how mm -hmm. sassy he was about Roy's sloppy anatomy on the, yeah. on the fake model that he burned. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, He's one of my favorite minor characters. Knox. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I love his line. We talked about it earlier. We were joking about it, but the like... We're not comrades in arms, we're accomplices. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. like that's a line that makes you like go like, oh. oh. Like, <laughs> I mean, we've seen a lot, of, a couple like horrible flashbacks. Yeah. Ish fall now, and I think we know how people generally feel about it. But yeah, I think he yeah. uh, really hits the nail on the head there. Mm -hmm. And he's like, yeah, you burned them up, and I dissected them. It's like, oi, oi, oi. yeah, everything you say gets worse and worse. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's like at the same time, it's like he's all like, like bitter and accusatory and everything but he still helps roy out mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is interesting he's a grouchy friend a grouchy but yeah. complicit accomplice mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i mean well we've seen a lot of people have a lot of faith in roy so maybe they have the yeah. same relationship we, i mean it's hard to tell from all his like jokes and sass but mm -hmm. yeah yeah he does seem to inspire that kind of trust in people mm -hmm. yeah i was just thinking about that um because i mean he d definitely does and he, he has a personality that does that but um I wonder if, if there was uh, a moment where he like like did something that st stood out um, uh, to them in particular. Like, I, I don't recall if if we do ever see this, but like Inishval, if there was a time where sort of that character trait of his really shined or something like that. Because I, I mean, I guess they they have a history of each other uh, with each other in that war, and it's just sort of 
that that sentiment and sort of the I feel like that builds over time, but also like maybe there's a certain moment where you sort of realize that like I don't know. It's interesting because some of it seems to come out of the war. Like we know yeah. that he was in the war with Knox and with Armstrong and with Riza mm-hmm. and Hughes. Yes. But at the same time, Havoc is like, oh, did you learn that in the war? Which suggests that they weren't in the war together. Yes. Mm-hmm. There's a couple, mm-hmm. I was going to say, so, there's a couple of yeah. characters that are like his, mm-hmm. in his squadron who trust him a lot or like that he oversees who trust him a lot. But they have, they weren't in the war together. Like they were like, yeah. when Havoc came in, in the, not costume, you know, when he, his face was covered and stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Fallman was like, hey, wait, are you Havoc? And he's like, man, I hate guys who haven't seen, like, battle experience or yeah. whatever. So, like, obviously, Fallman wasn't in the war with them. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. he also trusts Roy. So it's kind of both. Yeah, I think yeah. it's just his personality. I think it is something yeah. it's supposed to be, like, inherent in his character. But, yeah. yeah. There does seem to be something a little deeper between him and the ones that were with him in the in the war together. But mm-hmm. like, I think there so. is something about about Roy's just like character and personality that seems to make people trust him and believe in his like vision. So yeah. He's a psychopath. I mean <laughs> <laughs> No no it's sociopath. Oh sorry. Get on the followers. Sociopath. <laughs> You're right. I got my true crime wires crossed. <laughs> but yeah, there does seem to be something this innately he's innately trustworthy or whatever. So mm-hmm. and does seem to inspire people. Yeah. I like that he's doing research to try to do something for Havoc. Yeah. Um, that was sweet and sad. Yeah. He's got a mess of books with him. Like <laughs> I never really noticed until I was reading it, he's but like he's five. got like a several on his lap and a couple beside him. How long is he waiting there, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like how Reese is just like quietly standing guard mm-hmm. the whole time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Quietly listening to them, being deeply upset. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. It seems. But yeah, she's constantly there. She was there last chapter too, so mm-hmm. she's probably there as much as we've seen him, right? So yep. Yeah, I don't think either of them really wants to let the other out of their sight right no. now. No, <laughs> because they're in love. <laughs> <laughs> but I like uh, Breda's idea about going to Doctor Marco. Too bad he was too late. Yeah. I also like that Envy went as Breda too. <laughs> it's like, yeah. mm-hmm. oh, okay. <laughs> Poor Marco. Every time he thinks he's out, they drag him back in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that he's like, what are you doing here? And then he sees Gluttony. He's like, shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I like how he seemed like a bit more confident this time. Like, Yeah, he was really scared of lust, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like even like when uh, like Armstrong and Ed came by, he was like freaking out and like almost shooting them. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This time, even though he's obviously nervous about it, he's just like, I'm sorry, you have the wrong man. Mm-hmm. Like, That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. I guess he's just been away longer. But mm-hmm. I think overall in the series hasn't been that long in like real time. Didn't we talk about how it's only yeah. been like a co- like I don't know, like months or weeks month? since yeah. Hughes died? Yeah. Like I feel like just like like talking to like Armstrong and Ed and like mm. both like A knowing he's not gonna get turned in mm-hmm. by them and like having some like slight faith that someone like Ed can figure out like all the horrible truths he's been hiding mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. has like made him a little more relaxed about his whole like I got to keep things secret, no one can find me kind of stuff. Yeah, he so. released yeah. his notes to Ed too, so maybe mm-hmm. that's some kind of like burden that was lifted off of him too. Yeah, mm. mm-hmm. I really like that Arka has these like side characters that are like not really side characters, like they just keep coming back. Like, yeah, I guess they're minor characters, but like I've seen Doctor Marco like three times already, and like Knox mm-hmm. we've seen twice. Like, yeah, yeah, you know, people who seem somewhat insignificant. 
they have a continued trajectory in the story, which is nice. Mm-hmm. And like Paninia, you'd think the Paninia would be yeah. like a one-off. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. She's there too when they were visiting Garfield. Yeah. So yeah, like I said a few times, I love that there's like not really any filler filler. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like there's some stuff that's less significant to the overall story, but it's always like some concept or some character from that is significant and mm-hmm. comes back. Like, oh yeah, our favorite recurring character Yoki was also in this yeah. chapter. Speaking <laughs> of. <laughs> But I'm really happy that he got chomped by a tiny panda multiple times. Yeah. Boy, that made me happy. <laughs> Xiaomei has like these razor sharp yeah. teeth and like, like almost swallows his whole arm. Panda's not yeah. okay. Like yeah. an arm the size of uh, himself. Yeah, mouth. Yeah, his <laughs> Xiaomei's little mouth can extend to be the size of an arm, and or yeah. a large pint, I believe, as we saw before. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but then I do like how Yoki was like, "Yeah, my servant will lead us there." Of course, referring to yeah. Star, yeah. like, always take the opportunity not only to rummage through her stuff to try to find valuables, but to outright lie to a stranger. Yeah. Also, <laughs> perfect, classic Yoki. And, uh, yeah. To call to call Scar a servant, I like. I would be so afraid to do that. He should be. <laughs> right. Like he was like, "Can I call you by your name?" And he was like, "I cast it away." And Yoki's like, "Okay." <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. You almost gotta admire Yoki's hutzpah. Like, yeah. <laughs> His level of sleaze Horrible, is but, yeah. just unbound. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it must be yeah. must be hard to be so confident constantly. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like he's like starting to approach like very the chopper levels of us going like, oh you when he shows up. Like, <laughs> yeah. He's not quite as likable, but he... His unlikableness mm-hmm. is what makes him likable, though. Like, yeah. him being bitten yeah. by a panda is what made yeah. him likable. You know what I mean? Yeah, he's always, like, the butt of some kind of come yeah. up. That's like, why every it's time great. Up, so. That is the vengeance I need in a story where people's mm-hmm. limbs are getting cut off left and right. Yes. Listen. Left and right. <laughs> need the petty satisfaction of a... <laughs> of a moderate slime bag. Of a moderately, mm-hmm. of a moderately awful person getting... Trumped by a tiny panda. <laughs> But yeah, so so Mayus joined the Scar Gang. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> they needed more people in their little Scooby Gang too. I mean, he's on yeah. the quest. Mm-hmm. He has to bring back. Uh, I was going to say accomplices, but companions on his hero's journey? Mm-hmm. Question mark. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> it's it's Yoki and him and May <laughs> and the tiny panda sidekick, Xiao Mei. Mm-hmm. Perfect. See, they're their own Scooby Gang. Mm-hmm. Question mark. I love that because it's like it's a grouping you would never think of. Nope. But like as soon as she mm-hmm. shows up on the same page as Yoki, you're like, yes. yes. <laughs> Everything <laughs> is, is what perfect. I, need. <laughs> I like I still like her continued fantasy about Ed. It's pretty great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Gets even more fantastical every time. It's mm-hmm. wonderful. I thought Yoki's like, that frat ruined my life. And May's like, so he is famous. <laughs> 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 yes, exactly. <laughs> Everybody everyone she's met does know about him. So Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like, what is it, like a self-fulfilling, you know, prophecy or whatever, mm-hmm. <laughs> or whatever, uh, not prophecy, but it's a self-fulfilling idea, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Speaking of random side characters, how about that other state alchemist who was psycho that yeah. we met? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Question mark. I should have looked yeah. up how they wrote his name in Katakana, but I didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I forgot he had a first name. I was like, yeah, his name's like Comanche. I can pronounce that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was like, I can pronounce Giolio. I don't know if it's supposed to be command, Comanche, Comanche. Yeah. 
Yeah, he's he's definitely interesting. Um, he doesn't quite fit with. I don't <laughs> Are you know. saying his like crazy villain mustache <laughs> and overall look, top, top hat. hat, is yeah. uh, inappropriate in the series? I mean, I feel like he's got like a whole like backstory for like another story. That's yeah, like Kimi's basket. And Arakar is just like, but I can't not use him. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Put him in Fomela. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's in Professor Layton, obviously. Yes. <laughs> I was going to say there's a how can you say that his his character's overdone? There's a tiny panda, a girl with a tiny panda <laughs> companion. <laughs> I know, it's just, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just joking. I agree with you actually. I know. It's, it's but like it's pretty, like there's automail all, all over the place, but he's got a peg leg. <laughs> right. And then... I think it's his choice so he can do his spinny yeah, attacks. I, think I thought got... about that. Yeah. Himself. Oh, yeah, to I be a top. Has, yes. I think he has an aesthetic and he's sticking to he it. He definitely has an aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Also, by the way, it's written Comanche in the um, katakana, so we can call him Comanche, mm-hmm. I guess, if we want. Okay. <laughs> in case anybody cared. <laughs> but he also has tattoos on his hands like another crazy person we know. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was something I was going to bring up, because I think we've talked about how it's been so far just the villains that we've seen do yeah. that. And um, he, I mean, he also has sort of, we've only really seen him do one thing, but we talked about how that's typically reserved for people who are very specialized and sort of focus on that mm-hmm. one thing. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, it's... it's. Yeah, he seems to have little, like, sub ones on his fingers and stuff, too. Yeah. Because, yeah. like... He makes a bunch of different weapons, but they all seem to be like kind of based on the same like principle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. a silver alchemist, so, so some all based on like metal, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And we talked about how like it's yeah, it seems to be the people are like really specialized and like really, really dedicated to something. And like mm-hmm. he definitely seems to kinda like over the top into <laughs> it's part it. of his aesthetic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's like, I need like, materials, he's like, but he was then he couldn't transmute anything in the water, so yeah, and he's like thrilled to come up against Scar and fight. He was like... really overly excited. I feel mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. definitely a bad guy. The, my interpretation of him, and what we're led to believe, is that he's, <laughs> uh, yeah, he was like, oh, I, uh, like he was like excited to battle, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I didn't mention it in the uh, summary, but he says that like, it's like what I'm being a shvalin. Like, yeah, he says like like calls him as like a shvalin. It's just something about like when you people took my leg or something. Yeah. Implies that he probably got that injury in the war and has some, you know, an axe to grind about it. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, so he and Scar are the perfect companions. <laughs> yes. Yeah. They should have just bonded over their mutual hatred of each other instead of fighting. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know. He se- Like I said, he yeah. seemed kind of pleased to have the opportunity to fight Scar. Yeah. That was my interpretation. Yeah. I wrote in my notes that he recognized Scar, but maybe he didn't. I don't think that that's necessarily true. He recognized... Well, he like, he was fallen, but I don't think he... I think well, he, recognized he recognized him as the state alchemist killer. Oh, but... yeah. Right. He recognized yeah. him, like, from the war. Okay, yeah, yeah, no, you're right, you're right. Because mm-hmm. he says... Yeah, he says... Because <laughs> he talks like a weirdo. He says, And a Shvalin ghost doth appear before <laughs> right. me. And the one with the scar on his forehead, no less. Yes. I heard that you died mm-hmm. in East City. Oh, so. okay, yeah, so he recognized him from Oh, that. yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I know. He does have a weird way of talking. Yeah. <laughs> it's part of his aesthetic. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. It, He's sticking to it. It all adds to his, like, weird out-of-time aesthetic in a weird mm-hmm. out-of-time series. Yes. Yeah. Ho, ho. Ah, the joy of the battlefield. Yeah. The leg you bastards took from me is starting to ache with nostalgia. That's how I imagined him in my head. 
Yeah. <laughs> While he's twirling around with his mustache. There really is a lot of twirling. Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's like three whole pages of twirling. <laughs> 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 this is why I can't read a lot of shonen manga because there's always like a like these extended fight scenes where it's like just cut to the end. It's like okay, he got cut in the leg, and then mm -hmm. um, you know, Julio's leg also exploded. That's all I needed. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was excited I could skip so much of that in the summary because it's not yeah. really relevant. Most of the fight scenes have like stuff happening that's relevant that I have to describe. Yeah, there's dialogue. <laughs> mm -hmm. There's dialogue or they're like figuring stuff out and strategizing and stuff. So this was just, as you say, like fighty fighty. Yeah. Yeah. He, I like that he transmuted a blade and like held it in his mouth though. That was kind of impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Also, like Scar waiting in a dark alley for a, for an alchemist to appear. You know. Yeah. <laughs> What's an alchemist like you doing like this? <laughs> He's definitely like the uh, like the opening scene villain in a crime show in that in that scene. I said he belongs to <laughs> Professor Layden. Yeah. Scar, yes, Scar belongs to Professor Layden. <laughs> yes, you know, a children's game. He's like, how can I make this state alchemist appear with these seven matchsticks? <laughs> <laughs> Did you know I haven't played Professor Layton? I just <laughs> seen the cover artwork. <laughs> it's a puzzle game where everyone's life problems are solved by finishing little logic puzzles. Yes. I say that with affection. I greatly it's... enjoy playing Professor Layton. Mm -hmm. He could all of them could also be characters in like Phoenix, right? No. Yeah. There's a crossover between Professor Layton and Phoenix, right? I yeah. did I know that? I feel like I did know that. It sounds great. I think I own that game, but I've never played it. Hmm. I should though. I'm pretty sure I've seen yeah. the artwork for that too, because they're all both in their same like regular styles. Like yeah, <laughs> they, they don't mesh at all. Really bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> but I bet there is a crossover audience. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> mm -hmm. Anyway, do we have any other things to say about FMA? I don't think Bring so. I want <laughs> her to bite more <laughs> things. Oh, specifically Yoki, but <laughs> other people are fine too. Oh, actually, I did have one more thing I wanted to bring up. Um, I don't have a whole lot to say about it, but I think it's an interesting parallel or something. Mm -hmm. How Hohenheim, who's never changing, uh, ends up leaving with the picture of his family. That's, you know, a still image, mm -hmm. a never changing image of his family. Mm -hmm. And there's definitely some sort of parallel there. I don't know if it was intended or if it's just a coincidence, but um, it's an interesting sort of symbol. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, he has a specific this specific moment that's captured that's like what he remembers and it's almost like he's kind of like that too. He's in one mm -hmm. time one mm -hmm. one specific look. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was potentially interesting and symbolic how he leaves into the light. It's like kind of um uh shown as he's leaving Pinako's house in the morning, like the way that he opens the door. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I also don't know what that would be symbolic of, but I mean, he's also talking about how he's never going to see her again and stuff. It's almost like a weird death between them or something like mm -hmm. you have all these other I mean, they go and dig up the body and stuff after. So like it's a, I think all of that's kind of like maybe you could contrast all of that with like Ed's changing, you know, being in the rain and changing kind of like his, I don't know, being absolved of. The feelings that he had, and then moving forward. Meanwhile, Hohenheim remains the same. 
and kind of mm-hmm. remains trapped mm-hmm. in that in that state. I don't know. Yeah. You know, analysis and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Literature. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I took English once. Mm-hmm. I spoke it once. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Another thing I wanted to mention that I forgot about. Um the chapter where they dig up the body is called River of Mud. Oh yeah. Mm. Which is a phrase that we has been used before to describe like like going through like all this hardship to get to your goal. Right. I can't remember exactly when it's been. I think Risa used it. But uh, characters have talked about like wading through a river of mud to get to like what they have to do. I think you're right. I think it was Risa. I think it was around yeah. when they were first, when it was that military, like the flashback when Roy and Risa visited them. Because mm-hmm. like, I don't know, I can look it up later. But yeah, I can't remember exactly, but I know that phrase has been used before. Yeah. Hmm. So it's kind of interesting that that's like, there's kind of a literal mineral river of mud because yes. the rain starts and they're all covered yeah. in it but it's also kind of a you know emotional river of mud for ed to get through to get to his goal right mm-hmm. okay ah, i'm good okay what are we gonna read next right. time yeah we are gonna read 44 and 45 something sad all right <laughs> continuing the two by two for a little while every time yeah. you say two by two i'm always like two by two they will know. <laughs> the obligatory musical reference of the day Yes. You had to get that in. <laughs> if you keep saying two by Otherwise two, we'll sing it every be... time. Huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Otherwise, people won't know what podcast it was. I feel like people <laughs> are used to casual blasphemy by now, so I feel comfortable singing Book of Mormon <laughs> yeah. on the podcast. <laughs> it's on brand. Casual blasphemy plus music. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right, good. All right. Well, thank you all for tuning in mm-hmm. and listening to us gab. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I think we were actually pretty on point today. There was only a couple of yeah, um, really banter. Yeah. So you're welcome. I mean, <laughs> you're listening to us uh, laugh about digging up bugs. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. we gotta turn all the sad <laughs> things into funny things. That's how we cope yes. on this podcast. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, next week, forty-four and forty-five. We will see you then. Right. See you then. See ya. Bye. 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 <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> so long. Goodbye. <laughs> I'd like to stay and taste my first champagne. <laughs> but that's not the right part of the song. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> right, bye. 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 <laughs>